uncovered over 100 human footprints, uh, about uh, 14 different uh, dinosaurs. We've unearthed um, 15 different species of dinosaur. Uh, our teams also have uh, had the privilege of doing archaeological work in Israel, and I'll be uh, maybe even sharing with you a little bit uh, this evening uh, about some of our discoveries. Uh, I've had the privilege of being a part of some archaeological works there in Israel. So our museum uh, is like a natural histories museum filled with actual artifacts. And uh, many are one-of-a-kind discoveries in the world. Also, we have a great display in our museum of the King James Bible and the trail of manuscripts. Uh, we own several of the actual artifacts that were used in the translation of our Bible, as well as uh, we own the actual New Testament that belonged to Nicholas Gorbelius, who was the head translator. Uh, if you visit our museum, you'll see a wonderful display about our King James Bible. And uh, then also we, uh, uh, I'm involved in, in, in clicking here, we have a, a ministry, uh, Prophecy in the Spotlight, television ministry. We're on every Friday evening uh, on CTN, Christian Television Network. Um, we're on several other smaller uh, television channels uh, scattered around. Um, we're, we just try to bring Bible-centered prophecy because we're living in a world where a lot of prophecy ministries is all about the return of Nephilim and uh, UFOs and uh, all kinds of esoteric things that sells books. We're interested in just promoting the Word of God. And God's blessed our ministry. and uh, so Also, uh, we have the Issachar Report, which is uh, bi-monthly. There's some on the table if you'd like to look at that. And then some things on our table that might be helpful, maybe either to you or some others. We live in a time where our independent Baptist churches are being inundated by other things than the pre-tribulation rapture. The idea is that the church is going to go through part of the tribulation and whatnot. And so we have a little 28-page booklet called A Case for the Pre-Tribulation Rapture. Those are back there. And uh, if you found chapter uh, 24, if you would stand. Uh, we also have uh, several books on the table back there. One is called uh, uh, The Rapture Question and Seven Reasons for the Rapture. Uh, we just try to provide materials that help folks. These are interesting, exciting times. People will often say, man, everything's falling apart. No, everything is falling into place. We are watching prophecy uh, being fulfilled at hyperspeed. These are exciting times to be alive. I believe we're the generation to hear the trumpet, this side of the grave. If, if, if the Lord doesn't, if He sends us to the grave first, it's okay, because they rise first. <laughs> but we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet them in the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord in heaven. I'm looking forward to it. I really believe uh, the trumpet's out of the case. I really believe it's ready to be blown. I guarantee you our Savior is ready to come and get us. He's just waiting on the Father to say, go get your bride. 
I don't think it'll be that much longer. Signs everywhere tell us that. One of the things that the disciples wanted to know was three questions. And we'll look at it just briefly. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to shew unto him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See you not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives. And the disciples came unto him saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must first come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up and be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of the all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And he that shall endure unto the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all of the world for a witness unto all nations. And then the end come. When you therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth this, let him understand. Father, I pray. Lord, you'll bless our time this morning as we take a look at some of the things concerning the third temple. Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May our hearts be open and ready to receive. Holy Spirit, I yield to you, would you please guide my thoughts, help me know what to say, what not to say. Lord, I want to be an encouragement to this church, to this pastor, and to each one here. Now, bless please, and may everything that's said and done be for the honor and glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask by thanksgiving, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus our Redeemer. In your name, amen. May be seated. I want to share with you some things concerning the temple. If I didn't have any other signs of the times, and we could assign almost everybody in the room a different road of prophecy to walk down today, and what we would discover is that for the first time in history, we would all be bumping together. Everything is coming together. But if I needed only one sign, I would want the sign that revolves around Israel. Because that's really what prophecy is all about. It's all about preparing a remnant 
to enter into the millennial kingdom with Christ on the throne. And so uh, the fact that the Bible says that there would be a time of desolation, that tells me that Jesus is reinforcing what the Holy Spirit had already through the pen of Daniel had told us, that there's a third temple going to be built. One of the great pursuits in Israel, and even this week, as of yesterday, the Israeli leaders began saying, how come the Jordanians are in our land? Did you realize that Jordan doesn't belong to Jordan? The northern part of Jordan is actually ancient Israel. Two of the tribes never went across the river. And if you read in Jeremiah, you'll find uh, that there's prophecy of the time coming when Jordan will no longer exist. Yesterday, they wanted to know how come Jordan's occupying our land. Then the question came, why is the Jordanian Wafet, who's under the leadership of the UN, why are they in charge of the Temple Mount? And the pursuit for a temple... Every day, if you will watch any of the information that comes out of Israel, you will discover that every day something about the pursuit of a third temple will be mentioned somewhere. Jesus said there will come coming when there would be a desolation of abomination. Daniel put it this way, and he, talking about the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant. Hey, by the way, again, only in your King James Bible, let me point something out. It is only in your King James Bible you will find the word the. That's pretty specific, isn't it? You know, everybody's talking about the Abrahamic Accords. You know, you hear about it all the time in Israel and the different nations over there that are signing on to the Abrahamic covenant because all of them are the descendants of Abraham, whether you're an Ishmaelite or an Israelite. And so everybody's signing on all of these accords. And there's talking about looking for a peace treaty. Everybody says, you know, whenever you see that Antichrist sign a peace treaty, you know that the tribulation begins. That's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible doesn't say anything about peace treaty. The Bible says the Antichrist is going to confirm the covenant. You know what covenant it is? It's the Abrahamic covenant. I don't have time to teach that, but you need to study it out. He said, and with many for one week, one week's the seven-year tribulation period. In the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice of the oblation to cease and for the overspreading of abomination. He shall make it desolate, even under the consummation, and that determined shall be poured on the desolate. So that tells me there's coming a third temple. This is what they are looking for. They are planning for. I don't know what it will really look like when they get done, but in our world today, it wouldn't take long to put a pre-manufactured sign. Hey, by the way, did you realize in your Bible, every time God refers uh, to the tabernacle, God never refers to the temple. Go to your book of Hebrews. You'll not find the temple. You'll find everything that Paul uses concerning the writing of God and his relationship and all the things that God gave in the Old Testament law. It's always with God in the tabernacle because the tabernacle was made after the picture of the pattern of the real one in heaven. And so, uh, uh, so they want to build them a third uh, temple. So I want to share with you some things today. 
First of all, you need to understand that everything for temple worship is already ready to go. Everything is ready. You see, there are two instruments that sit outside in the outer court. We're not talking about the temple, but let's think ourselves back into the days of the tabernacle. You came through the outer curtain as it was opened, and you came into the outer court, and there you had a brazen altar, and then you had a laver of water. This is going to be a bloody place because all of the sacrifices are based on sacrifice of life and the shedding of blood. That's why Hebrews said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. And so uh, you have these two. Then when you went into the holy place, which is the first house or the first room, you had on one side the, the candle of uh, uh, the uh, uh, candelabra over here with the seven candles on it or the lampstand. And then on the other side, you had the uh, table of shoe bread and the instruments there. And then in front, there was a curtain. And then in front of that curtain sat the altar of incense. So you had five instruments uh, and then behind the curtain you had the altar. Inside that Ark of the Covenant you had what? You had the broken tablets that God had pinned out for Moses. You had Aaron's bud that rotted and inside it you had a golden bowl of manna uh, that God had provided in their wilderness journey inside the Ark of the Covenant. On top of the Ark of the Covenant, it is a wonderful, beautiful piece. It's not near as big as this. Uh, it's about from here over. And uh, it is about two and a half inch tall rim all the way around it. And it's pure gold. This is what's in the tabernacle. This is what is already prepared except, the, except uh, for the Ark of the Covenant. And so you find in your Bible in Exodus, he tells you all about how to build them. I'm here to tell you they're already built. I've seen two of them myself. Uh, the, uh, the brazen altar is ready to go. Uh, he tells you the kind of wood. You need to understand the Achaia wood, uh, the Shittim wood that he talks about. This is the Achaia uh, uh, bush or, or trees. Sometimes got to be uh, almost three foot in diameter that grow in the wilderness area where they were. And so they used the wood that was there. It's a very beautiful cabinetry wood. But almost all of it's going to be overlaid with pure gold. Can you imagine building the, camel, uh, the, uh, uh, the lampstand out of one beaten piece of gold? All of this is masterfully made. And, and we're told the, the labor, and oh my goodness, you say, why did they have to have a labor? Because they had to constantly wash themselves. Because they couldn't go into the first room we call the holy place. Uh, and only the high priest once a year behind that six inch thick curtain uh, that called the veil to the Ark of the Covenant to apply the blood from the Day of Atonement. Uh, uh, you couldn't enter in that without having washed yourself. Why? Because everything is bloody. So they had the water and the, the labor. And then you went in and you had the, the I, man, they've already got it all built. It's all ready to go. The altar. Hey, by the way, when you get to the book of, Revel, uh, the book of Hebrews and you get to chapter number nine, you're, you're, you're introduced to all of these. I don't know if you've ever studied, but chapter number nine of the book of Hebrews, you're introduced to every one of these. Uh, but what you'll discover is you'll not find the altar of incense. 
He only tells you about two that are in the first room. He'll only tell you about the, about the table of shoe bread and the candle stand. You say, well, where in the world is the altar of incense? Because it's set before the veil. Oh, because it's all about the day of atonement. It's all about the day when the blood is applied. So instead of the altar of incense in chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews, you have the, the golden censer. The golden censer is what sat on top of the altar of incense. And it was carried by the priest behind the curtain because without that smoke, without that veil that he carried with him, he could not enter into the presence of God. Remember what happened when Moses saw the hinder part of God? His face shined so brilliantly uh, that he had to put a veil on for the people to be able to communicate with him. All of these are already made. Every one of them. <coughs> Excuse me. Except the Ark of the Covenant. I know it's probably on an island somewhere out in Africa. <coughs> Did you see uh, a few months ago somebody found it in Ohio? <laughs> oh, by the way, <coughs> many of the rabbis will say, well, it's hidden in one of the chambers underneath the Temple Mount, and there are a lot of hiding places. I've been under there. I'm here to tell you there are a lot of, a lot of places to hide. There are all kinds of ideas, but let me ask you a question. You show me in your Bible, and you show me in history any place where they witnessed and testified of the Ark of the Covenant after the captivity. Give you a little challenge this week. You see if you can find in history, in any rabbinical writing, and in your Bible... You show me where it ever sat in the second temple. I'll save your time. You won't find it. All of the vestments are made. As a matter of fact, just recently they found the last gem that they are convinced is the last of the actual gems that were in the breastplate. They have now restored the actual vestplate that Aaron wore and every high priest. They're ready to go, man. They got a thousand Kohanian priests already trained and ready to go. They've been practicing. Hey, they've got this thing down. They're ready to go. And uh, uh, everything, I mean, it's an amazing thing. Our team from Creation Evidences Museum was blessed to be able to discover the drain tube of the altar and the pool Silawam. You see what's so important about the pool Silawam? It's down in the southwest corner uh, of, uh, of the, what's called the City of David today, but that's original Jerusalem, or first off, it was called Jebus. And uh, it is where you would take a ritual dip and you went up the, uh, the steps uh, the steps are important. Uh, they're called the steps of ascent. Hey, did you ever understand or ever read in your Psalms, starting in Psalms 120 uh, through 134, what are they called? Steps of what? Ascent. <laughs> you know why? Because 
every third step is twice as wide as the other two steps. Because when they would go down to get the water to put the ashes of the red heifer in, they took a silver chalice. Ooh, that's redemption. And they went down to the running water that fed the pool Silawam, and they filled a silver chalice full of water, and they walked to the second step, and they all stood right there, and they sang the first psalm of ascent. Then they took two more steps and they sang the second psalm of ascent. And they are psalms of ascent because you get to 134, you're out on the top on the temple floor and you're at home. It all is with the ashes of the red heifer for the sprinkling. And uh, you were to, uh, then you went up the pilgrim pathway. You said, well, why is so much of this under the ground? Because in 135 A.D., Hadrian of Rome said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm tired of all of this insurrection of the Jews. And just every few hundred years, it's nothing but another battle. And we got to, but here's what we'll do. We'll go to Jerusalem and we'll tear down every building to the ground. We'll haul in 15 or 20 foot of dirt and cover it all over. And we'll mix it with salt to make it infertile. By the way, the Bible had already said that's what would happen. That's why every archaeological dig is way down there. Because when it all happened, way down there was really up here. And so uh, it's all uncovered and ready to go. So it appears that everything for temple service is ready to go. All they need is a building. They got everything. They're ready to go. All they need is a building. And uh, yet, there's something missing. The Ark of the Covenant. And again, <clears throat> only one person, only one individual would ever know. And that's the high priest. Because he's the only one that ever, only once a year, went behind the veil. But if they get a temple building, they've got everything ready to go. Wait a minute. You've got to have something special. They could have the building, all of the men, all the instruments, everything ready to go, but it's useless. They couldn't use it until it is consecrated. You say, what's it take to consecrate it? Hmm. It takes the blood and the ashes of a red heifer. For the first time in over 2,000 years, there are red heifers in Israel again. Not just a herd, but in one major herd, there are at least two major candidates that are now three years old. Hey, by the way, that's how old a heifer has to be for the use of the ashes of the red heifer. Every day the Temple Institute has someone inspecting. Because according to rabbinical writings, one branch of rabbis believe there can be five dissimilar hairs found on the entire body. The Orthodox variety believes there can be no dissimilar hairs. These are red everywhere, including their hooves. 
Let's turn to Numbers. I know I'm going to have it up here, but I want you to see it in your Bibles. I want you to put your spiritual waiting boots on. I know you're used to snow later in the year, probably up here. Your pastor said usually you get a little bit later. In southern Illinois, where I live on the farm, we had our share of it last week. I hope we're through with it. But we put our boots on. I, I'm a hunter. I don't hunt much anymore. Can't walk like I used to. I love to hunt. My dad was a professional fur trapper. I know what it is to put my waders on and get out in deep water and beaver trap. I want you to put your spiritual waders on with me. We're going to go into some deep truths this morning. I want you to see with me your Savior. Everything about the Old Testament, every law, everything about the tabernacle is all about Jesus. Amen. I hope I'll plant a seed thought in your pastor for a series coming up, hopefully. Amen. We'll give you some. And the Lord spake to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law of the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they... Notice who's supposed to do this. They bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came yoke. And he shall give her unto Eliezer the priest, that was the oldest son of Aaron, and may bring her forth without the camp, and one shall slay her before his face. And Eliezer the priest shall take her blood with his finger, and sprinkle her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. So, they've got the tabernacle built. Everything's ready to go in the wilderness. It's taken them exactly one year. The story you're looking at is the first day of what Israel calls Nisan, which was originally called the month Abib. You'll be back tonight and I'll help you understand why God changed the name from Abib to Nisan in relationship to the sacrifices of Israel. All of the feasts are set by the month Nisan. They begin with Passover and then they seven months later you end the seventh feast in the fall. And so uh, it's all built. The tabernacle's ready to go. Everything's ready but it required the sacrifice of a red heifer. So this pure red heifer is sacrificed. Her blood is caught. The priest, in this case, he takes it and he goes to the tabernacle and he seven times on everything. We don't have time to read it, but you'll find that it was all of the people. It was the law that they were agreeing to. Everything was covered with the blood. So he takes the blood uh, and he sprinkles it seven times. 
And one shall burn the heifer in the sight, her skin and her flesh and her blood uh, with her dung, and, and shall burn. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet uh, and cast it in the midst of the burning of the heifer. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up without the camp in a clean place. Uh, and it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel. For a water of separation, it is the purification for sin. Under the Old Testament law, if you had gone into the room where a human had died, if you touched a dead body, if you touched the clothing of a dead person, if you found, stumbled on a bone in the field of a, of a person, you were unclean. When you were unclean under the law, it meant you could not go to the tabernacle. You could not bring a sin offering. You could not participate in worship. No unclean person was permitted in the presence of the tabernacle. I'm all going to get right with God. I'm unclean. God said, I'm going to make a way for you. Amen. I'm going to make a way by taking the ashes of this red heifer who shed its blood for the covering of all. And I'm going to put those ashes in living water. It had to be spring-fed water in a silver chalice. And the priest is going to take hyssop like a paintbrush, and hyssop in this area is found everywhere, and they would bind it up in like a paintbrush. And he would dip it in there, and when you went on the third, he'll go on to give you the exact day when you're to show up. You want to be able to worship? You want to be able to participate at the tabernacle? You can't. You're unclean. So God said, here's what you do. You go by and on the third day, the priest will take that and he'll dip it in and get the sprinkling of the ashes of a red heifer. And then on the seventh day, you're clean. You can go back to worship again. You see, God knew that everybody would have a sin problem. <laughs> he knew everybody was going to need the blood to be shed to bring them into a relationship with him. And he knew that even after we got saved, we would probably still sin. Don't look at me so piously. You know what I'm talking about. Aren't you glad he made a way that you could have your conscience cleaned? Aren't you glad he made a way that not only you could have a, have a relationship, but you could have a restoration of fellowship? Is all provided by the red heifer, both in its blood and in its ashes. And so uh, uh, he said, for a water of separation, uh, purifying of sin. Red heifer. In other words, wherein there's no blemish. Well, the Bible says, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Everything in the tabernacle in the Old Testament law. It's all about Jesus. 
Jesus fulfilled it all. And uh, so, which never came a yoke, he said. And uh, Acts says, the place of the scripture which he read is this. Uh, uh, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his chair. So he opened up his mouth. This is the only sacrifice that is a female sacrifice. Because it pictures submission. Jesus said, no man taketh my life. <laughs> I lay it down. It's a red heifer, and uh, in Hebrew, that's the word Adam, or out of earth. That's what Adam's name was, our first, our first forefather, and uh, related to the ground, and uh, the humanity of Jesus. Oh, yeah. He said in Hebrews, he said, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. Have you ever thought about it? God prepared a special body just for Jesus. For one purpose, Calvary's cross. Jesus is coming Oh, yeah, he, he healed the sick. And, and yes, he raised the dead and cleansed the lepers and stilled the storms. And he did all the things that he did. And, and he fulfilled everything the Old Testament said that the Messiah would do. He did all of that. But he came to inhabit a body that was specially designed for one reason. Calvary's cross. He didn't have a human father. No, he's the only begotten of the heavenly father. And so a body was prepared for him without sin. Oh, glory to God. All of these would make their own message. Amen. So he said, now bring her forth without the camp. Notice what the Bible says. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people in his own blood suffered without the gate. They took him outside. And one shall slay her before the priest's face. I know the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all in every place, call upon the name of Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Can you imagine the priest all gathered together as somebody brought before them? Who was it who cried out, We will not have this man ruled over him. Crucify him, crucify him. Three days before that, they laid their branches in the street, had take their cloaks off, and Hosanna in the highest. Now they're crying, Crucify him. And they led him outside before the face of the priest. And he died for you and I. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, you need to understand God went to a whole lot of details to make sure you had a way to change your destiny from hell to heaven. Because you sure can't do it by religion. You can't do it any other way. Only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but notice. Sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. Wow. You ever thought about it? Jesus had his back scourged and the blood flew out. His brow was pierced of thorns. His left hand, his right hand, his left foot, 
his right foot, and his side was pierced. And what came out? Blood and water. The Jews are getting ready to go into the tribulation days with a third temple. They have everything ready to go. They even have the red heifer. It tells me we're mighty, mighty close to the rapture. Our time to share the good news that Jesus shed his blood on Calvary's cross to wash away your sin and to remove it forever behind the back of God, never to be remembered again. I'm here to tell you your time to share that is running out. You're going to do it with your friends and your neighbors and your family. You better get busy. We're getting close to being out of here, folks. Jesus, I believe, is pictured in every one of these. Uh, he said, take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet. Many believe that the tree uh, that Jesus was hung upon was a, was a cedar tree. Cedar is something that is pure. In other words, cedar is not infected by parasites. You ever wonder why they make their cedar-lined hope chest? Why they put cedar in their closets? Because it's not penetrated by parasites. It's pure. Picturing. And uh, John said, And there was set a vessel of vinegar, and is filled with sponge with vinegar, and put in hyssop, uh, uh, upon hyssop, and uh, uh, put to his mouth. And Jesus therefore had received the vinegar. He said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. They put a scarlet robe upon him. <laughs> hung him on a tree. Put the hyssop, everything just like you did with the red heifer. It's all there. It's all symbolic. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe upon him. Cedar, of course, as I said, is uncontaminated. Jesus certainly was uncontaminated. He was born without sin. He lived without sin. And yet he took upon himself the sin of the world. You say, well, I'm too wicked to be saved. Nobody's too wicked to be saved. <laughs> because it doesn't matter what you've done. It's the fact that you're a sinner. Amen. You're not a sinner because of what you've done. You've done what you've done because you're a sinner. That's, right. That's why you need the blood of Jesus Christ to, to, to save you from your, uh, from your sin. Not from your sins, uh, but from being a sinner yourself. Oh, Peter says, but with that precious blood of Christ as a lamb, without blemish and without... One more thing. And a man was clean was to gather the ashes of the heifer and lay them up without the camp in a clean place. And it should be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel, a water of separation and purification. So it was stored. According to rabbinical writings, this is how many red heifers have been sacrificed through time. From the day in the wilderness to where we are today. Some of them lasted for centuries of time. Important because you needed that cleansing. An unclean person shall take the ashes of the burnt heifer for the purification of sin and running water and in a vessel, hyssop and dip it in water. In other words, if you needed to get right, you needed to be able to have worship again, you had to go by and have the sprinkling. 
And that's why every once in a while you've got to get alone. That's why God gave you 1 John 1, 9. That's why the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's for you and I as a believer to be able to stay in full fellowship and be able to worship God like we ought to be able to worship him. We can't worship him when we're with an unclean spirit and when we, when we have sin on our record. That's why you need to every day, you need to before you go to bed, you ought to practice 1 John 1, 9. Make sure you're in full fellowship with God. That's why he gave it to us. Amen. And uh, Hebrews said, let us draw nigh with a true heart uh, in full assurance with faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the co an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. He said in the blood of bulls and goats and ashes and a heifer and sprinkling unclean sanctifieth the puring of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, uh, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, Purge our conscience from dead works to a living God. Man, I'm so thankful for what Jesus did for us. There are a lot more to it, and I want to encourage you to do a little study on your own. Get over Numbers 19 and just take a real good look at Jesus. It's all laid out in the red effort. If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you, I'm going to be honest with you. You're headed to hell. I, I wouldn't be your friend if I tried to sugarcoat it. You need to understand, it's not God's fault. I, I get tired, preacher, of having people say, well, I just don't believe a loving, I, I don't think a loving God sent anybody to hell. Let me tell you something. A loving God's not sending anybody to hell. Amen. A loving God sent his son to Calvary's cross so you wouldn't have to go to hell. Because God knew you were born already headed to hell. Don't blame him. And if you continue down that road, uh, I don't care how many times you get religious. I don't care how many times you get baptized. I don't care how many times you join a church. I'm here to tell you, unless you come under the blood of Jesus Christ, you're not going to heaven. Because salvation is none other than the name of Jesus Christ. You've got to come through the blood of Christ. You can change your destiny from hell to heaven, but it's your choice. It's while you're living in the realm of time. Did you ever think about this? Why does the Bible say concerning our salvation, behold, now is the accepted You know why? <laughs> it's only while your eternal soul is living in the realm of time that you can access redemption for your soul. Because once your eternal soul walks out of the realm of time over into eternity, there is no access. It's only while you are living in time that you can have your eternal soul saved. If you leave here today without Christ as your Savior, it's not God's fault. It'll be yours. Because in a few moments as the pastor's getting ready to come and take the invitation, my friend, you can receive Christ. We're not asking you to come and join the church. We're not asking you to get into the baptistry waters. We're not even asking you to write out a check. 
we're asking you, would you give your heart to Jesus? In a moment in the invitation time, if you're a Christian, have you got some things going on in your life that's not right? Have you become unclean? Have you become out of fellowship with God? You ought to be thankful that the Holy Spirit pricks your heart and says, you need to get right. You've done this, you've done that, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Why? He wants to keep you in full fellowship. In a moment in the invitation time, would you let God have his way with your heart? Let's stand, please. As the pastor prepares for the invitation time, if you're here without Christ this morning, I don't know, I've done my best to try to help you understand. God loved you all the way to Calvary's cross and shed his blood for you. The offer and opportunity to change your destiny from hell to heaven, it's in your hands. It's your decision. Nobody can make it for you. And you can't blame anybody if you don't make it. It's your personal decision. Pastor. Pastor. ...to the quietness of this moment while she begins to play. If the Lord has uh, touched...